Welcome to Total SF in Exile, and welcome to my living room, Connor Letourneau. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, really appreciate you coming by. I should start by saying that this is the first day of our mandatory work from home. How's it going for you so far? Well, I don't. Ver- I never go to the office anyway, so it really. The only thing that's affected for me is the fact that the Warriors have no availability availability or games. I was actually supposed to be taking a flight to Milwaukee today <laughs> for a five city road trip, which is no longer happening. So, um, you know, my life has definitely changed. But in terms of going to the office, I, I, I literally go to the office maybe three, four times a year. So, not affected in that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is different for me. I mean, I'm I've yeah. never really worked from home. Um, but I think this is our future, just chronicle podcasters interviewing each other right. um, in I our like living it. rooms. And uh, it helps that we that I live literally, you know, blocks away from you. Yeah, that, 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 that's a huge convenience. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going through Alameda. I think, <laughs> I think Ray Rattle will be next. And I think Miss Fields lives here. I'll get Tolbert on again. Um, so I'd love to get your origin story, how you got into sports. We'll talk a little Alameda. Uh, a little about work for, working from home. I, I might want some tips from you. And, of course, I'll have some Warriors questions. Uh, weirdest season ever? It has to be, yeah. <laughs> it has to be in NBA history. I would, I would say that. All right. Well, we'll talk about that, too. I'm Peter Hartlob here with Connor Letourneau, and this is Total SF in Exile. Thank you very much. So I should start. Um, sorry about my dog. Uh, <laughs> no worries. No worries. Yeah, my dog tried to kill you. Um, <laughs> it's like it's what weighs like five pounds. Yeah, I mean sixteen. Sixteen. But, um, okay. But there's I'm not a lot of guessing fluff. Those things. Yeah, yeah. So it looks a little bigger, um, <laughs> and it just wouldn't stop barking at you. No, he it was a it was trying to be a guard dog. You know, I respect it. You, you gotta you gotta have those protective instincts if you're a dog. I, I I appreciate that. My my dog used to be like that too. Yeah. Well, we we have this rescue dog, and we got it a couple of years ago, and it loves women. It loves kids. Um, but it was like in a hoarder house with 46 other dogs, and we don't know what was going on there. Yeah. And for some reason, anybody with a deep voice or like or like kind of coming up the steps a little heavy, the dog flips out. So um, I'm glad that I'm no- uh, normally you're cool dogs with it. like me, but no, I I understand the situation for sure. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you coming by. Um, I kind of took notice of you when you were covering Cal, but I'd love to hear before that, like. Did you get the sports bug when you were a kid? Was it a school thing? Um, kind of the journalism bug and the sports bug, did they come together? Yeah, so I, I grew up in Portland, Oregon. Um, I was a big Blazers fan growing up. Um, and my both of my parents kind of have journalistic backgrounds. Neither of them are journalists, but my dad was editor of his college paper. My mom was editor of her high school paper. You know, they've always appreciated journalism and so at a young age my my parents kind of got me into the, the routine of reading the the newspaper the Oregonian every morning and so I before I'd go to school I'd sit down and I'd read the sports section and I fell in love with a couple sports writers of the Oregonian uh, their coverage a guy named Jason Quick who's covered the Blazers for a very long time I remember I was in middle school and he had a series called the behind the locker room door series and and basically the series kind of lifted the curtain and kind of showed the fans 
who these people are, how they interact, what they do on the road, you know, going to team movies together and, you know, uh, kind of the locker room dynamics. And he would do stories where he'd go to players' houses and, and write about their families. And as someone who was a diehard fan of the team, I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. I thought it was so cool to, because I wanted to know who these people were. I mm-hmm. wanted to know, you know, what their personalities were like. I wanted to go, you know, I'd watch them in the games, but I wanted more, right? And so he was providing that to me at a young age and I just decided when I was like 12 13 years old I'm going to be an NBA B writer really yeah yeah and I've never and I've never deviated from that course I've always the goal has always been to be an NBA beat writer uh so I went to I was editor of my high school paper was uh went to the University of Maryland which has a good journalism program uh covered you know football men's basketball uh was the sports editor of the paper there uh, then I got my first job at a college, actually at the Oregonian. And I was actually a colleague of Jason Quicks. Um, and I should say he's a columnist. I, I know his work. He's, he's a, a he's, a, he's a, he works at the Athletic now. But yeah, he was he's a longtime Blazers beat writer. He kind of writes in a columny way. But, uh, but he gets he gets like he'll cross lines. You know, he'll he'll write a tough story. Right. And, I mean, he's not like someone who. And tell me if I'm wrong. If he's not a columnist, but but he, he's not a columnist. But he he can he definitely writes in a columny way and I, I think a lot of the best beat writers do that i i think if you read some of my stuff i i kind of straddle that line sometimes of being a columnist um you know there is you you would know where my opinion lies you'd know it i call it expert analysis but there's yeah. there's definitely that line there um and yeah so i i went to the oregonian um i i originally started covering high schools but i was uh, promoted largely because of mass layoffs very quickly to uh to the Oregon State beat and I did that for two years covered Oregon State football men's basketball for two years and then uh I actually got a I got the cow beat down here and it was largely because it was a better job and uh you know a better opportunity but it was also at the time because a longtime girlfriend of mine uh lived lived here so I wanted to be with her um and uh then I I did that for less than a year and then i was promoted to the warriors and i'm on my fourth year well I, I remember uh i remember you kicking ass on that beat and the thing that jumped out at me that i i really appreciated and i can see where where the quick influence was is that um there were some tough stories i mean you immediately got into i mean there was a, a scandal there mm-hmm. and uh and you were jumping in it with our i think secondary education reporter yeah and, and pulling no punches yeah yeah there was a there was a um assistant men's basketball coach who had sexually harassed a reporter and uh there were reasons to believe that console martin the head men's basketball coach had kind of covered it up and so uh, i did a you know a whole a whole kind of investigative series with you know our education reporter on that and um you know i also did a bunch of features and stuff and that was a beat where i was frustrated at times because I am the type of, I'm, I can be a workaholic at times. I want to, I want to be writing all the time. I want to have interesting things to say all the time. And for whatever reason in the Bay area, you know, there's just not that interest in Cal. Yeah. And so I yeah. was sometimes frustrated on that beat because I would work really hard on something and just it was an echo chamber. Like no one ever, I never heard anything. Uh, 
But, you know, that is not the case on the Warriors beat. So yeah. uh, there's never a shortage of things to do on the Warriors beat until maybe right now. But well, I, I was a Cal fan and I read all of it. Um, uh, I'm, I'm wondering if, you know, when you're 12 and you want to be an NBA beat writer, it, it sounds really kind of maybe a little, I, I would think it sounds glamorous. As you're becoming a sports writer, did you ever waver? Did you ever think, man, maybe that's not what I want to do? Once you kind of got behind, saw behind the curtain and saw the way things are. Honestly, no. It, the When I went to college and I got involved with our student newspaper, and I, I mean, it was a competitive student newspaper, and so you really had to start from the ground floor. I was covering women's gymnastics, and then I covered men's soccer and men's mm. lacrosse. And, um, and I thought it was like the coolest thing ever. I thought it was so awesome uh yeah. even doing it on that level um I, I just loved everything about it um getting to know you know getting to kind of tell their stories getting to travel getting to you know because even at my student newspaper we i would travel for men's soccer you know we would drive down to north carolina and cover the duke maryland men's soccer game and nice. things like that and by my senior year i was a basically a traveling beat reporter i went to every men's basketball game i went to every football game I missed class. I missed exams. I treated it like a full-time job. And it really prepared me for when I got out of college and I was doing that on a professional level for the Oregonian. I I was a sports writer at the beginning of my career. And um, it was in San Luis Obispo. And same thing, in college, I mostly covered sports. And then I worked for the local papers and and covered uh, Santa Maria Times. I was working with Cam Inman. Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah. And... uh, and I remember Cam would go home and watch sports. And ESPN's pretty new then. Right. And that's the last thing I wanted to do. Right. I, I, I realized like I it was making me not like sports. And and the, yeah. the thing that turned it for me was uh Chris Cohen, um, who was the owner of the Warriors, decided to do the Warriors camp in San Luis Obispo at the Cal Poly gym, which was not a nice gym. There's nothing to do in San Luis Obispo. Right. I mean, for for you and me, there's stuff to do, but right. like, there's no bottle service for Latrell Sprewell. Right, you know? right, right. And this is right around when I forgot it was before or after Sprewell choked the coach. But I remember going in the locker room, like half the players weren't talking to the media. All of the media people that I saw looked really pissed or sad, and it seemed like no one wanted to be there. And I started thinking, if I keep doing this. I'm not going to like sports anymore. Yeah. Um, and I, you were a Portland fan. Are you able to, to enjoy sports? I don't enjoy them in the way I used to. I'll say that. Um, I'm not a diehard fan of anything anymore. Uh, I have no feeling at all toward the Blazers anymore. And it's not just because I'm I'm an objective journalist. It's because that, that part of you kind of, turns off yeah. you know like when it becomes your job that you see how the sausage is made and, and you you realize these are just people and you kind of get away from putting anyone on a pedestal and really idolizing anyone sure. like that um so i i wouldn't even call myself a huge sports fan at this point to be honest with you in any way uh i really do this because i think sports are a great microcosm of society i think that there's a lot of good stories to tell in sports. I think there's very few things in our society that people care more about than sports and everything kind of comes into play, race, religion, politics. Um, everyone has an interesting story. So, um, and I love part of the reason I love the NBA is not just because I enjoy basketball, but because the NBA has the best access of any major professional league. And it, it's the most conducive in my opinion to good storytelling. Yeah. And so that's really why I love covering the NBA. 
in particular the Warriors, because they have phenomenal access. Yeah, and, and I mean, just in my kind of culture beat, I run into all the teams, and, and the Giants have been pretty helpful with stories and stuff, but the Warriors, like, it's the players, too. And you've got Raymond Ritter, who's, I mean, the best. He's incredible, know, he's, yeah. He's incredible. I, I don't know. He's like a Terminator. I don't think he sleeps. I So a couple of years ago... We, I went to China with the team, yeah. and we we had we had, because for for logistical reasons we took the team charter to and, China. And Raymond Ritter's the head PR. Guy. Yeah, he's the head yeah. PR, vice guy. president. He's of, the gatekeeper. Yeah. Like yeah. if you ever see any story from me, and I, I'm at someone's house, or I'm you know walking around <clears throat> San Francisco with someone, or what have you, Ray set that up. Yeah. You know, Ray yeah. Ray's the guy that really makes us look good. Um, and yeah, we were we we're on a 14 hour flight to. Shanghai and I was sitting near him and he fell asleep and we all freaked out. Like we took pictures of it. We're like, we're like Raymond Ritter's sleeping. Ray Ritter sleeps. I have gotten calls at three in the morning from him. I have yeah. I got I get emails almost nightly from him after one AM. Like he does not sleep and he seems like he's not human and uh apparently he does sleep. So Yeah. Well that's good to confirm. I'm, I'm <laughs> glad he got sleep one time. Um, do you find yourself if you can't be a fan of sports, does that sort of vacuum fill somewhere else? Are you more of a fan of music? Are you more of a fan of, uh, you know, good television or movies yeah. or something? That's a good question. Um, I'm not sure if it if it directly, uh, you know, if it goes in a direct line like that. But I definitely love music. Um, I love movies, TV. Um, you know, I have. I have other things I'm interested in. Um, I think for me, it's it, it's actually caused me to pay more attention to the the world at large. Like I find myself yeah. spending more, more of my free time reading, you know, current events and the New York Times, Washington Post, and kind of trying to educate myself rather than spending all my time uh, reading sports. But I, I'm someone who really values like the craft of writing and the craft of storytelling, and so I do spend a ton of my free time reading sports long form sports stories and it's not and it yes they're sports stories but i'm not reading them because they're sports stories i'm reading them because they kind of educate yeah. what i do yeah i don't read books ever unless yeah. it's for unless i'm interviewing someone and they wrote a book and i have to read the book i read a lot of long form i see what friends and colleagues are doing and i try to discover new people um, yeah um i will say i like that like Susan Slesser, I've had Susan and Ann Killian both on my podcast to talk about music. Um, mm -hmm. And Susan obsessively follows Paul Weller. And uh, Paul Weller, I, I always get him mixed up with the RoboCop guy, but um, the guy from The Jam. And then Ann Killian, the Avett brothers, which she got yeah. me and my wife into. And uh, I think that's like a good balance. Yeah. I'm not trying to like kind of mentor you here, but I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, maybe you should pick a band and no, follow yeah. them. No, yeah, I a do have weeks. a couple artists that like when they're in the bay I have to go. Yeah. You what, know, what if I'm they? in town, Modest Yahoo. Uh-huh. Uh he's just phenomenal live. Yeah. Um I love him. Uh I'm trying to think Atmosphere. Uh -huh. Um there's I'm kind of into into like underground hip hop and stuff. That's so, great. Yeah. That's great. Uh okay, one quick tangent um david kelly have you heard him rap the warriors yeah i have corporate uh general counsel he's, yeah i remember you did that feature a on him a couple years guy. ago yeah 
um, yeah, he actually rapped at uh, San Quentin Prison a wow. couple of years ago. I, I did a story. I went to San Quentin with them because they have this annual game where they play the inmates. Yeah. Uh, they're not the players, but the front office people. And uh, he was there on the team playing against the inmates, and he did like a pregame rap for the inmates. It was pretty cool. Nice, nice. Um, so this season already super weird. Were you enjoying it? I mean, this kind of um, a lot of the warriors are hurt. Um, you got Wiggins coming on, but mostly you've got a lot of these guys who were G League guys mm. or rookies, and. Um, the team's got have they got the worst record in the league now? They do, yeah. But I think they have the best record for moral victories. <laughs> how, <laughs> yeah. How are you enjoying the season even before the coronavirus stuff kind of? It came was. Out? A, it's been a such a such a change. At the beginning of the year was weird because it was just so jarring the way everything happened with Steph's injury, and you're going from covering the best team not just in basketball but arguably the best team in sports uh, to covering the worst team in the NBA. And so it it was it was like a, having a totally different beat because there were a lot of games where no one playing was on the playoff team last spring. Yeah. Um. So it literally was like I I just got a different job almost, <laughs> you know. Um. Except for Steve and Bob Myers and Ray Ritter, you know, everything was different. New arena, new uh, new everything. So, um. It it was a it was kind of a fun challenge, I would say. Uh. Uh-huh. Uh, covering a losing team is in some ways harder than covering a winning team. You have to be really creative about the the story ideas and and what you're saying because the basketball at a certain point doesn't really matter anymore. Sure. Um, In terms of the X's and O's, like a lot, like the game stories really are not the point anymore. Um, You know, whether or not they win or lost, it doesn't really change the bottom line that much. Um, And so I had a, I've had fun, you know, introducing all the new guys and, and getting to know them and, and, and tell their stories. And a lot of these guys are guys who've never had a profile written about them yeah, or yeah. any sort of, there's no information on a lot of these guys out there. It's not like writing about Steph or Draymond or Clay or something. So it's been fun. Um, but now I'm just kind of trying to figure out what my job is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as a longtime Warriors fan, I, I enjoyed, um, watching my kids watch a bad team because they've never suffered, you know, and I suffered with the Warriors. Um, So I I was kind of enjoying it. I was waiting, you know, thinking maybe I'd go to some games later in the season. The ticket prices might go down. And then coronavirus. Had you heard of coronavirus? Do you remember when you first, it it first started coming up um, on your beat? Um. I mean, it didn't really start coming up on my beat till pretty recently. I mean, obviously, I'd read about it and yeah. and, and and been tracking everything, but um, you know, it didn't become something I was actively writing about until a couple weeks ago. Uh, they actually signed a guy, Jason Randall, who who was in China when all this was hitting the fan with the coronavirus, and so he actually there were complications with his contract in China because of the league being suspended and everything, and so. I wrote about what that was like for him and his experience of, of being quarantined in China. And then he was here for a good month before he had played for the Warriors. So they weren't too worried about him having the coronavirus. But, you know, that was probably the first story I wrote that had any sort of in-depth nature about the actual coronavirus. But it must have felt like something that was happening over there. I mean, It did. It's been crazy. It's been crazy just 
how much the stakes have heightened in a short period of time. I mean, just a few days ago, we were all complaining about, oh, you know, we, we're getting locker room access restricted. And and in retrospect, that's silly to worry about, given mm. where we're at right now. Um, you know, and I think it was very naive for all of us to think that they could finish the season normally. That, you know, even without fans, that they could finish the season. Um, all it took was one person, Rudy Gobert, getting yeah. coronavirus, and now everything has changed for the entire sports landscape. Was there talk before then? I mean, was there rumbling in the hallways before Rudy Gobert that like, hey, this season might might not happen? There was, yeah. There yeah. was. Uh, there were conversations had among owners and stuff of, of what they would do under given different circumstances. And, you know, given how quickly it's spreading, it kind of felt like a matter of time before someone in the NBA got it. Um, and it, it didn't have to be an all-star level player like Rudy Gobert. It could have been a referee. It could have been a coach. It could have been anyone. Um, and that was going to happen. And I, and, and I think we were all kind of silly to think otherwise. Yeah. Rudy Gobert, um, where were you when you heard about that and how fast did things escalate? I had, I was at Chase Center. Uh, we had you know been working all day for covering the fact that the Warriors were going to be the first team to play without fans. You know the next supposed to be the next night against the Nets, and I rode a main bar, and then I actually po- had a podcast with Scott Osler at Chase Center, and my my friend, another writer, uh, Wes Goldberg, and Russ Goldberg from the Mercury News, were like walking out, and we see on one of the TVs in the in the hallway at Chase Center the Oklahoma city game and people are, you know, everyone's leaving the Chesapeake energy arena and no one really knows why everyone's like something happened with Rudy Gobert. He might have the coronavirus. And then, you know, probably an hour later, we're actually recording another podcast. Wes Goldberg and I are recording a podcast with our friend Bram, who has a warriors podcast and mid podcast, you know, we're analyzing Warriors playing without fans. And then mid-podcast news breaks, Rudy Gobert has coronavirus. Literally minutes later, NBA suspended operations. And then th- that that podcast we're recording then and the podcast I just recorded with Scott are totally moot at that point. I mean, the whole, yeah, the whole, yeah. the whole story has totally changed. So, Do you, uh, I consider it like it's a Rudy Gobert story, but it's a Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell story, mm-hmm. correct? Right, yeah. Do- Donovan Mitchell got the coronavirus yesterday and there's I think some internal tension um, among the jazz players because apparently Rudy Gobert had been pretty cavalier about it and kind of been making fun of it and had been actively touching his teammates and 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 touching their belongings and kind of just joking about it and yeah um, and I think uh, knowing Donovan Mitchell a little bit I think he was probably going out of his way to kind of pick on Donovan because Donovan Mitchell is known for being a total germaphobe. Uh, he's a total knee oh, freak. No. And actually, a couple months ago, I did a story. He He's best friends in life with Eric Paschal. And I did a story on their relationship and their, their friendship. And I met with Donovan and Eric at the Jazz Team Hotel, I think the Four Seasons, uh, not far from the Chronicle newsroom. And I was told before going that from the Jazz PR staff, if you even have a cough... If you have anything at all, do not come because Donovan will freak out and and you know he's total totally obsessed about staying healthy and and when I got there, you know he had emergency in his water bottle and he just just 
preventative measure and he you know was uh and i and i the to be honest with you, I actually had like a slight cough at the time, and yeah, I, yeah. I don't—I wouldn't say I was sick, but like I had like a slight cough, and I was super paranoid about even coughing once because I had told him I wasn't sick, and if if I was doing an interview, yeah. I was coughing, you know, he might just get up and leave. Uh, so we we did it for an hour or so, and and uh, it was it was a good interview, but uh, yeah, it's I look at that now and i'm thinking man of all the people to get the coronavirus i feel bad for him i feel bad for him i feel like all the germaphobes were right you know <laughs> yeah i had uh, uh carrie byron from mythbusters came by and she's like i read her book i mean she is she says she's a germaphobe i don't know if that's a that term is a clinical term but um so she showed up and this is like a week and a half ago and i went knowing she's a germaphobe i didn't shake her hand i went to fist bump and she like went for the elbow. She's like, no, I'm not fist bumping. And I was kind of thinking like, taking it a little bit far there. I mean, a fist bump. But now like, yeah. you know, fist bumps are out. We have to do that. Uh, this is before your time, but the kid and play house party kind of toe tap, I think is the yeah. new <laughs> yeah. new thing. And Audrey, our editor, um, she's, you know, I, I remember she came down to do a podcast. I had just set up a new studio in the archive and half of the archive where we record is really nice and new and yeah. clean. And the other half, like, the cleaners don't go in there. I mean, it's right. just a mess. And she's like, I could tell she was thinking about it during the podcast. Yeah. And I'm thinking like, uh, overreaction. No, she was right too. She, she, yeah. she had us practice working from home about a week and a half ago. And, and right. at the time I'm like, Oh, I guess that's interesting. So but, is everyone, or even the page designers working from home at yeah. this point? Um, yeah. Uh, no one's there. It's not like they're, they're, I, I put this tape measure out. I, I'm only half joking. Yeah. It was it was on a memo that we have to be four feet away yeah. from each other. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. And so we're exactly four feet away. We're from exactly each other. four feet. I actually got a four foot desk. So um, <laughs> Audrey, if you're listening, um, we're following all the rules. Yeah, good employee. But, yeah. Um, well, I, I wanted to just kind of close with a little bit of Alameda. Um, I thought it was super cool when I found out you lived here. I lived for 15 years in Oakland, and my wife's a teacher here. Um, I've always liked Alameda, but I kind of came here a little bit reluctantly. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to leave Oakland, which I really love. Where in Oakland were you? Uh, Maxwell Park, so okay. uh, kind of near Mills College. Okay. And I've come to really, you know, I, I don't know that I love Alameda. It's not, I feel a little out of place still, but I really appreciate Alameda. Yeah. And I wonder what, what brought you here? Uh, to be honest, um, so I I lived with uh, I I lived with my <laughs> now ex girlfriend in San Francisco when I first moved here. That relationship ended. I moved in with a friend of mine um, in East Oakland, like uh-huh. deep East Oakland, okay. like ninety eighth and MacArthur. Gotcha. It was not the greatest neighborhood. Yeah, uh, I lived there for two years, um, and then that living situation kind of fell apart, and I was definitely ready to to leave. It, I'd gotten my car broken into a couple yeah. times. I'd got robbed at gunpoint. I had it was. It was not the greatest experience. Yeah, we got, I mean, Maxwell Park is a, you know, they call it, when we moved in, they called it a transitional neighborhood. It, you know, we loved our neighbors and everything, but we got burglarized. I mean, there were crimes going on. There was a couple pit bulls came and got, they had to come out and shoot them in the middle of the street. You know, and I have, I had little kids. So I get right, it. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it was, that got old for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, a kid got shot right in front of my house oh, and everything. Yeah. So, um, 
I was that living situation kind of fell apart, and I actually had a good friend of mine, an older friend of mine, who had a house and an, a guest room, and I was telling him my situation, like I don't know really where to to live, and um, he actually had a house right on the water here on Bayview, um, on in Alameda, mm-hmm. and so temporarily he's like, just come live in my guest room while you figure out your next situation. So I lived with him for three months, and I. And I just fell in love with Alameda. I'd never really spent time in Alameda before that, and I just loved it. And I decided pretty early on I was going to start looking for a place in Alameda. So I ended up finding a place right off Park um, that I love. And mm-hmm. I think as long as I as long as I'm in the Bay Area, I'm probably going to stay in Alameda just because I, I I have once you find your spot, you know, yeah. once you find that place that you feel comfortable that you're at ease in you kind of don't want to leave and it's pretty centrally located and compared to other places in the bay it's not as expensive and so yeah that's weird i, <laughs> I don't get that <laughs> yeah so i'm i'm happy for what, sure what, what bit you what was the thing that uh, or things that you you like i just like the vibe yeah overall vibe i think i especially with my lifestyle i travel so much my life is so chaotic and i'm working all the time and everything it's nice to come back to a place that's chill you know, it's nice to have the beach right here. And I, you know, I grew up going to the beach all the time in Oregon and I like to like go biking on the beach. And, um, you know, I, I have a park right next to me and I'll just, when I'm home, my friends know that if I'm home on, I have a free night and I'm not on the road during the season, if you want to hang out, just come to Alameda. Cause I'm probably not going to want to go to <laughs> SF or something. I don't leave on the weekend. Yeah. Once, once they put the target in other than I've got a pickup game in North Oakland, I don't leave. Yeah, no, yeah. I, so I, I pretty much, my friends and I will go out on park. Like I have a few bars I really like. I like have restaurants. I are, like. are you going to give them up? Uh, what, favorite bar, favorite. I love restaurant. lucky 13. Love lucky 13. Love no lucky TVs. Thir- uh, it reminds me of Portland. Tab. It reminds me of home because Portland has a bunch of bars like that. Yeah. yeah, I love. Uh, I'm a huge Burma superstar guy. Yeah, yeah. love Burma superstar uh, too much. Uh, love Burma superstar. Uh, there's I'm, I'm finding some new places like India Palace, uh, the the Indian restaurant. Okay, on Webster. so I have some in my refrigerator right now. Yeah, but, but my complaint, one of my few complaints on Alameda is I I think they need another Indian restaurant. Yeah. That's like That's kind of an old school had. buffet. It's good, but it's it's kind of um, they're not experimenting a lot. I'd love to get in. I haven't Indian found a great Thai restaurant, and I oh, love up Thai. to you, up to you on uh, Webster. Oh, I haven't been there. Up to you, Thai on Webster. Okay, I'll yeah, try there's that. There's a couple good ones. Monkey Thai's okay. Monkey Thai's okay. Yeah. Um, um, Town Tavern. Wife yeah, and I, I like, I like Town there. Tavern. I got a different problem than you do because i'm old (laughs) yeah and uh there's a couple places i don't know if i'm gonna call them out but um uh, a couple places where my wife and i will go there and i feel like we're not welcome like yeah there's kind of a hipster vibe and (laughs) we're we're barely served and i sometimes feel weird because i like alameda is such a it feels like most people in alameda are from alameda and there's like a very tight-knit community here and uh, sometimes I'll go out and I'm like, I'm probably the only person in this bar who's not from the area. Like, yeah, there's, like I just, a, there's a lot of rattos here. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. See, my wife's taught here 20 years, so she's in. But um, yeah, there's been situations. I remember I went to one of the two places where they treat me rudely. And my wife and I are waiting. And this four, uh, it was four people came in, including someone who's on the school board, Alameda school board. 
Um, and she got like the Goodfellas treatment. I mean, they're like, oh, here's your thing right here. And we're like, yeah. we've been waiting. And then she sat down. And of course, then I'm like timing like, okay, when are they going to get served and when are right, we going to get right. served? And I mean, they yeah. cleared out the kitchen for the Alameda right. school board member, you know, a right. little, little bit of an old school thing. I do love the diversity. Um, I coach basketball here. And every time I coach, my team looks like a little UN delegation. <laughs> I mean, it's just... And, and the kids aren't conscious about it. Like nobody's talking about, you know, who who has what background or anything. And that goes for economic diversity too. There's a real blue collar um, history here. And the people who live on the Gold Coast, which is wealthier, and the people who are living even in like Section 8 housing are coming together at the schools and at events. And I don't see people putting up bears it's like everybody's an alamedan and i really that's probably the thing i like the best is, yeah. is that diversity and and not just the racial diversity but the economic diversity and how everybody kind of yeah it's definitely a other. community vibe here which it's hard to find in a major metro area sometimes yeah. so it's been like i said it's been uh it's been a great experience for me i've been here for two and a half years and um you know i don't see myself leaving so yeah well, I want to I want to close with. Uh, do you know about the Warriors' history in Alameda? I do know a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So they they practiced at uh, College of Alameda during kind of the run TMC years, mm-hmm. and um, and they all lived here. There were a bunch of people living yeah. here. Yeah, I've, I've heard this from Tolbert. Yeah, I've talked to Tolbert about it, um, yeah. and he yeah he basically told me that Alameda was the spot Bay Farm specifically. Uh, people got houses there, and then the houses. You know, once they started making more and more, because that was back when the NBA players weren't making crazy money. Yeah. And now that you have the Steph money and the Draymond money, you know, the houses aren't quite nice enough. So they're going a little bit further, or they were going a little bit further out. Now almost all of them live in SF. Uh, but but when they were in the East Bay, they were all living in like Danville and um, nobody Orinda. in Alameda. Just coming here for not the, that uh, I know of. I know I know burger. like some. <laughs> I know a couple of assistant coaches who lived in Alameda. Yeah. Um, and like uh, staffers, but not any players. Well, I, I got to tell you about the story I'm working on. Now that I'm working from home, I'm mostly writing Alameda stories. And Tolbert told me about um, that Don Nelson had a pot bellied pig that um, Tolbert would like just see him walking, just like cruising around and he's with his pig. And then there was an Alameda ordinance that. Um, <laughs> Somebody must have ratted him out or something, but it was in the papers and everything. And I found even a photo of Don Nelson with his potbelly pig, Miss Piggy. So um, I'm going to try and track him down. I'm going to try and track down Chris Mullen. It, you, yeah, you should reach out. To, I know Scott Osler knows Don Nelson pretty well. As yeah. He's uh, smoked weed with him in, oh, great. in, in Miami or in uh, Maui. So, But basically, I wanted you to come here. I wanted to get your history, but this was all just... So that you'll give me a retweet. Okay, when yeah. My, I, when my pop I'm always happy to, up. you know, always let me know when you write Warriors-centric things because sometimes it'll, like, fall through the cracks and I'll later see this awesome thing you did on the Warriors archives and stuff and I'll, I'll have missed it. So. Uh, see, I'm the opposite. I'm, like, sometimes I'll, like, reach out to you yeah. and, and your editor and just be like, Hey, I'm working on this thing. Is, is Connor, Connor, you work on anything like this? But then sometimes I forget to do that. And then I almost like, don't want you to see it. Cause I'm like jumping on your beat. I, I mean, I'm no. sure you weren't doing a minute bowl retrospective. No, no. But... I love, I like that though. Minute bowl is 
my favorite like former NBA player in oh, a good, lot of ways. Good. So well, well, we'll get you down to the archive and look at all the photos. Um, thank you so much for coming to my living room. I went a little yeah. bit long. My dog barked at you. No worries. So um, really appreciate it, and uh, good luck with the beat. Thank I mean, you so wherever much. Wherever it goes. Yeah. I, mean, I, have, I had a bunch of like profiles and enterprise that I was working on that suddenly don't feel super relevant. So yeah. so I'll, uh, I'll figure it out. I think this stuff's all going to end, and everybody's just going to soak up and just want every little bit of sports they can get. Yeah, so, I agree. Know, we'll, we'll, uh, There's still a chance that I think that there's a decent chance that they're going to end up playing all the games, but it's just going to be pushed back yeah. significantly. Cool. Well, thanks again, and uh, come by anytime. You walk <laughs> by, just knock on the door, and uh, and uh, and I'll probably make you record a podcast. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> thanks, man. Darling, it's 2 a.m. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to my guest, Connor Letourneau. Total SF is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community and Cable Car Bell Ringing by eight-time champion Byron Cobb. Support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a Chronicle membership at www.sfchronicle.com slash pod. 